Well, welcome to week six. Um, I'm excited that it's finishing, not because I won't be up here any longer, but because uh, I think it's time, and um, I really feel like this is the, the bookend to this whole study, and uh, we'll bring it all together, and um, that's my prayer for each of you, and for all those who aren't here today who might be continuing to, uh, to listen up. Um, uh, I just My prayer is just that we will all just receive today what the Lord has for us, um, his truth. <clears throat> And uh, there is a lot, so I will get started, as I always do. Um, and, I'm, and I am skipping the, the foundational verses for, for time's sake, um, so we're going to look at summary from last week. Jesus is the abundant life, his victorious resurrection life, all the fullness of God, the Cain, the lives of the Trinity that make us alive to God and able to receive all of him that he desires to impart to us. The life of Christ in us is abundant in freedom, joy, power, strength, inheritance, rest, wisdom, peace, purpose, and love, not dependent on any outward circumstances. And finally, the Christian life can only be lived by Christ in us. So whether you believe those statements to be true is key to living the abundant life. And so today we're looking at that question of faith and what I've called um, the supernatural assurance of Christ's life in you. So familiar verse, Galatians 2.20, the second half. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. In Galatians 3.16, Paul's prayer, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And Hannah, all that we claim then in this life of sanctification is that by an act of faith we put ourselves into the hands of the Lord for him to work in us all the good pleasure of his will and then by a continuous exercise of faith keep ourselves there. And you might be thinking, well, that's easier said than done, but, but actually it's not. It says a continuous exercise of faith, not a continuous exercise of striving. It's a continuous exercise of faith. And, of course, a familiar verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. Now, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's an important verse for this study today. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'll be coming back to that. <clears throat> faith, a biblical definition, comes from the Greek root word for persuade or to be persuaded, and it is God's divine persuasion. Isn't that beautiful? that faith is God's divine persuasion. Nothing I say here today is intended to persuade you from my own wisdom, my own experience. It's God's divine persuasion. <clears throat> Romans 14.23 says, And everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you're like me, that's been a hard verse over the years. And uh, I don't obviously profess to, to be a theologian and, and have... Um, uh, lots of background in this, but let's look at it again with 11, uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Everything that does not come from confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see is sin. And Ian Thomas puts it this way, whatever does not derive from your attitude of total dependence upon God is sin. It is sin because it stems from an attitude of independence that makes you open to any and all of Satan's deceptions. <clears throat> you 
if we need to, we need to ask ourselves, what is it we hope for? What is it we do not see? When we don't have confidence or assurance in Christ, we will be trusting in our own wisdom and our own understanding. And, you know, we may think that we're simply weak if we, in, in faith, um, when we struggle, thinking, I, I want to believe, but, I, but I'm having a hard time. Ask the Lord to reveal to you if there's something in your flesh that's causing you to doubt him. He's the giver of faith. Ask him to reveal to you if there's something there that um, might want to control outcomes for yourself, that might want to avoid some uncertainty or some undesired outcome. Maybe you want to protect yourself from hard things that God might ask of you. Maybe you believe what things seem out of pride rather than trusting in what you do not see. Well, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, long verse, and I know this is uh, primarily about source of salvation, but there's an application here. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds upon this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. So that last reference, he himself will be saved, that is about salvation. And, and of course, we're not to add anything regarding um, salvation to what Christ has already done. But we are to build on the foundation of Christ, as this says. Well, Oswald Chambers, hold this thought, Oswald Chambers kind of puts it, sums it up this way. Righteousness is doing right in God's eyes. And God alone is the author of righteousness. For any activity of ours to produce righteousness, God himself must be the source of it. In 2 Thessalonians, with this in mind, we constantly pray that by his power, he will bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So I would say this, if our deeds are prompted by confidence in what we hope for in Christ and assurance of what the Holy Spirit is doing that we cannot see, our lives in Christ will produce gold, silver, and precious stones that will last. It will produce uh, that in our families. Right, in our children. However, if our deeds are prompted by a lack of hope in Christ and a lack of assurance that the Holy Spirit is working because we act on what we see or think we see, we will produce the fruit of our own flesh, hay, wood, and straw, and it will not last. And God himself is the source of our faith, 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Right? A natural man is one who is not reborn in Christ. It requires the Spirit to understand the things of God. In Romans 12, 3 says, Think soberly of yourself in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Our faith comes from God. Our discipleship book says, We cannot conjure up faith. It is only given from God as we rely on his word and faithfulness his divine persuasion. And we know, Galatians 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God, is faithfulness. It's God's fruit. He produces it. And 1 Corinthians 2.5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
and it's God's divine persuasion. We, we cannot be persuaded of the things of God by human wisdom. So, let's look at a biblical example. Romans 4.20, Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Well, there's, uh, for a promise to be able to be uh, delivered upon, it requires two, two things. It requires the promise maker to have the will and the ability to make it, and to keep it. So, what does God promise us? Well, we've talked about that for the last five weeks, right? But let's just confirm for a moment what God does not promise us. The abundant life is not the absence of pain, grief, or sorrow, as much as we want it to be. It's not. It is the promise that we will not be ruled by our flesh when tempted to satisfy it in the midst of pain, grief, or sorrow. And you don't have this in your books. Um, I forgot to mention that I just, uh, I was encouraged to elaborate on some things today by way of example. And so there's a lot that's not in there. But you'll have the slides um, after today. So, again, the abundant life is the promise that we will not be ruled by our flesh in the midst of pain, grief, or sorrow. It's the promise that we will not be overcome by the enemy's schemes to steal, steal, kill, or destroy in the midst of pain, grief, or sorrow. You know, the journey to recovery from grief, pain, and sorrow is much faster if we don't have to keep stopping to bind up new wounds, right? New wounds that we get when we seek revenge, when we seek to hurt somebody in return for their hurt, when we believe the lies of our past, when we indulge ourselves to try to cover up pain or grief. So, what are we promised? This is the promise, as succinctly as I could put it. When we believe and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are reborn of God to a new and abundant life through the indwelling life of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. I hope we all believe that God has both the will and ability to make good on this promise. This promise is rooted in God's word, which I hope I've made clear over the past five weeks, using scripture to make the case for this. And remember what Oswald Chambers said, that our capacity in spiritual things is measured by the promises of God. It's measured by the will and ability of God. There's nothing about us in that right now, right? So I think that in terms of the promise, God's will and God's ability is assured. So we know we can live the abundant life. And I think all of us are asking, but am I? And that's what we're going to talk about next. Because living has two parts as well, believing and receiving. And we're going to spend some time talking about that. There's a big gap in your books uh, with some of this material. So let's talk about believing first. Believing God. I love this, this uh, statement. It's so succinct from Hannah. We are assured of the truth of God's word and his promises, not because we are faithful, but because he is. And I think sometimes we keep thinking about, I don't have enough faith. And that's about us. The question is, is he faithful? He's the one making the promise. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not human that he should lie 
not a human being that he should change his mind? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Deuteronomy 30, oops. Uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we've seen this before. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And finally, Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Trust is foundational to faith. We have to trust in the character of God, in who God is, in order to believe him. His word is full of promises, but we can't trust in those promises if we don't know him. And we know what he, from his word what he wants to do for us spiritually and for eternity, but I think sometimes if we're waiting for him to give us that blueprint for our daily lives, and then we'll trust him, uh, we're going to miss out on all that he has to offer. For those details of our daily lives, God does not tell you what he is going to do, but he does reveal to you who he is. I've quoted this many times. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He reveals to you who he is, and that's what we trust in. We trust in who he is. Are we fully persuaded of who God is? And uh, in Hannah's book, I'm just going to paraphrase and elaborate on it. She, uh, she gives these wonderful analogies. I love them. And she talks about considering what or who we do not doubt. And so she describes uh, in her time period, you know, the train conductor. And for us, I think it's the airline pilot, right? We trust an airline pilot with our lives. We don't know that airline pilot personally. We really know nothing about them. But we trust them with our lives. We trust them when we uh, have a late start getting out of the gate. We have to wait. We trust them when they take us through turbulent airspace. We trust them if they had to take us, uh, divert us to another uh, airport and go someplace we didn't intend to go. And we trust them even after we might have a hard landing. We trust them and yet we really know nothing about them. Another great example she uses is we trust um, the cook at our favorite restaurant. Right? We can't see what they're doing when they prepare that food, but we trust them with our lives, right? That they're not serving us up something poisoned or uncooked. We trust the waiter who brings it, right? Think about who you trust that you don't even know, and then consider whether or not and why you may doubt God and his promises. It takes faith to trust in those things, right? Confidence of what you hope for. You hope the cook is doing a good job. You hope the cook isn't putting something into your food that they shouldn't be. And you're assured uh, of what you're not seeing up in the cockpit of that airplane. Hebrews 11.16 tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Ask yourself, am I earnestly seeking him? If you're doubting him, ask, are you earnestly seeking him? In James 1, 6 and 7, a famous verse, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And that's not doubting in who God is, in his ability, 
in his goodness. Not that you will receive exactly what you asked, but you're not doubting the one you're asking. In Jesus' hometown, remember, they would not receive him, right? Um, and all that he offered. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Conversely, when the two blind men asked to receive healing from Jesus that he offered, and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to what you hope for and what you are assured of. And they hoped in him, in his healing ability. And they were assured that he would then give them his, their sight. Well, I love Hannah. She always makes a point by kind of turning it around. She says, if it is to be done to us according to our faith, so will it also be done to us according to our doubts. Ask yourself if you're doubting and therefore receiving based on what you doubt. The first condition of living the abundant life is believing by faith that Jesus is willing and able to live it in us. That's God's divine persuasion. And so the life by faith, the abundant life by faith, is believing in Jesus. But what hinders us from receiving and enjoying the joy and the freedom and the inheritance and power? It's believing lies. Instead of Jesus, it's believing lies that fill us instead with the life of doubt, of bondage, discouragement, hopelessness, defeat, weakness, weariness, confusion, anxiety, futility, resentment. You know, and I think at times we all experience some of these on occasion, but if you're living in that place on a regular basis, ask the Lord to reveal to you the source of your doubts. Ask the Lord to reveal to you the lies that you're believing. Ask the Lord to reveal to you your flesh that might be causing you to live in this place. I would say don't blame it on a lack of faith, which comes from him. Ask yourself, am I receiving that faith he's giving me? Ask him to reveal those things to you. Hannah says, many people will receive joy and peace for a time, and then trials come, and temptations, and doubts begin to intrude, and they receive them and entertain them. And I always say in response to this, when I think of her, I say, don't invite your doubts in for tea and coffee. Don't offer them a seat. Close the door. Don't let them in. Don't sit down and have a conversation with your doubts. Have a conversation with Jesus. So if you struggle with doubts, identify them to the Lord. His power is supernatural to give us peace and comfort in spite of our circumstances. And, and don't try to make it make sense to you. Because a big God should actually be beyond our comprehension. So there are some beliefs you may need to settle about God and with God before you can fully receive his abundant life. And I put these on page 68 in your workbook. I kind of put them in the group discussion time. Do you doubt God is who his word says he is? Do you doubt he has the power to do what he promises? Do you doubt he is good and works all things for good. You're good. Do you doubt he's interested in the details of your life? Do you doubt you're worthy in his sight? Do you doubt the truth of all of his word? If you have those doubts, maybe you'll be able to discuss them today a little bit, but take them to the Lord. 
He wants you to get past these doubts and to receive all that he has for you. And I would encourage you again to consider the phrase, but God. It always follows a statement in the Bible about man in his weakness or sin. And these are two very powerful words when put together in Scripture, but God. But how often do we turn it around and say, but I? I know God will never leave me, but I feel so alone sometimes. I know God wants to work good for me, but I feel like it's just one trial after another. I know God says with him all things are possible, but I just don't see how this situation will ever get resolved. Ladies, there's no power in those statements. Turn it around. Start with your weakness and end with but God, because the power is in his faithfulness, not in your feelings. Sometimes I feel so alone, but God will never leave me or forsake me. It seems like it's just one trial after another in my life, but God works all things for good. I just don't see how the situation will ever get resolved, but God says with him all things are possible. End with but God. You know, speak his power into your circumstances because we have life when we live by faith and not by what things seem. You may also doubt at this point whether it's Christ who's actually at work in you or whether it's still you. And so this brings us to the second half of living, the receiving part. Remember the prodigal's uh, son's brother when the father said to him, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. That son needed to believe the father, but he also needed to receive from him, right? Because he wouldn't really enjoy that roasted goat with his friends if he never actually acted on what his father promised. So if you're thinking, is it me or is it God? Um, another of my favorite verses and foundational to this concept, I think, is 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Consider all that we've seen in scripture up to this point that clearly states God's will for us regarding his abundant life. We can be assured of receiving all that we ask according to those verses. He promises us that he wants, his will for us is sanctification. Why would we doubt it? Right? To abide in him. That's what he wants for us, and he wants to abide in us. To be holy as he is holy, that's a will statement. And to bear God's fruit through him. That is his will, and we can pray in regard to each of those and know that we will have what we, receive, what we ask for. And whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He is the living water. Whoever believes in him, he will flow out of us. That's a tremendous promise, and this is his promise. This is his statement. Therefore, if you have surrendered to the life of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can know that it is Jesus living out his life in you and through you, day by day, hour by hour, circumstance by circumstance, according to the promises he has made. And that's table 71 through 74, the table on those pages. If you haven't worked in that table, I encourage you to do that. Keep it handy. Keep it in your Bible. Those are his promises. And our part is to believe and receive them.
So you might be thinking, I do want to receive it. But how do you do that when life gets really busy and demanding and you're distracted or tired or maybe unwell, you know, and it seems like there's no time in the moment to stop and receive? How do I do that? Well, I kept wrestling with that myself for a long time. I kept thinking, okay, I want this abundant life, and Jesus, I know that you indwell me. Now, how do I make sure I'm living in it? And I'm a process person, and I kept thinking, so what's the next step? What do I need to do to make this happen? And he kept telling me, it's by faith, Janet, and I kept not hearing him. And I kept asking, now, how do I make this happen? How do I make sure that I'm living in it? And he kept saying, it's by faith, Janet, and I kept not hearing him. And then one day I did. I can't tell you the, the day, the hour, the circumstances, but it was an absolute revelation. It was just, oh, it's by faith, Janet. And I got it. And I got it. <clears throat> I just have to know, God, that you're faithful and that you will do what you have promised, and I just have to receive what you're doing. And so I practiced receiving in my prayer, and I would pray with my hands open to receive so that I was conscious of my part in receiving until it really just became an attitude of my heart. I still do that sometimes, but not, not as much. Um, it was the very nature of my prayers to receive. And so it's confidence. It is by faith and confidence in what we hope for. It's hoping in his power and faithfulness to do what he has promised, believing that. That's the confidence. Assurance in what we do not see that we will receive the power, the peace, the rest, the wisdom, the joy, and all the others. We can't see the Holy Spirit doing that, but we can be assured that he is doing it. And so God sees the heart, and that's the important thing. Well, let me just say this too, that it's supernatural. God is the one doing it. Don't wrestle with does it make sense or how does it happen. That's somebody like me that just has to constantly surrender that need to understand. <clears throat> And so I could leave it here and then move on, but I'm going to elaborate some more because the important thing is that God sees the heart. And so receiving is a matter of the heart, right? We can't pray and ask God for things that in our heart we're not really committed to, right? If we still want to indulge our flesh, if we still want to um, feel sorry for ourselves and go live in a lie somewhere, you know, that's what we're going to do. Um, if we still want to hold someone accountable to us and not uh, surrender them to the Lord for him to forgive them, we're going to do that. And we can't expect the power and the peace and the rest and the strength of God to be working in us when we, in our heart, are really living in our flesh. Well, God sees the heart, and we can't, in our minds, will ourselves to receive. It is a matter of the heart. And it begins by choosing surrender to his love. I start my day, I encourage you to start your day, surrendering your day to the Lord. Give him the authority in your life, over your flesh. Offer yourself to be available to all that he wants to do in you and around you that day. Give the authority to the Lord to hold your thoughts captive, that you won't receive lies and accusations from the enemy, no matter who's speaking them, that you wouldn't receive rage or hatred or rejection of others, that you would only hear the Lord's voice of truth and conviction. Give him the authority over your thoughts. I love actually not being in control. 
I didn't think that was true uh, for a long time, but actually I love it, and it's so liberating um, because God doesn't expect me to have control over all the circumstances that he allows into my life. I can trust him with the outcomes. It's, it's a really great place to be, actually. Um, I'm not accountable for what other people say or think or do or don't do. I'm not accountable for whether or not other people make good on their promises. Maybe that promise in that covenant relationship of marriage, I'm not accountable for that. But I can trust God with the outcomes because he knows I'm not in control. And I have given him the authority over those things in my life and surrendered them to him. Trust him. Tell him that you trust him, that he is living his life in you. That it, when, when it gets busy or hard and distracting, that you trust he will be your strength. He will be your wisdom and power and peace. Tell him that you trust that your spirit is one with him because he said it. And you can be in the spirit and one with him while your mind and will and emotions are focused on some earthly task, right? I mean, I think of a surgeon. You know, I wouldn't want that surgeon in the midst of doing surgery on me to be stopping and uh, asking the Lord, oh, please let me receive, you know? I trust that in his spirit he's having that conversation with the Lord and he has settled that oneness with the Lord. And now his mind is just focused on that earthly task. And I trust that in my own life. I trust that he will bring to my remembrance all that he has said. Right? That's a verse. And that when those remembrances come into your thoughts, don't dismiss them. Right? Thank the Lord that he is your power. Thank the Lord that he is revealing himself to you. And surrender enables a heart that can worship the Lord. Scripture tells us, offer your bodies, that's your whole self, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is surrendering your day to him, your life to him, yourself to him, your thoughts, your emotions. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord, knowing that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. I'm kind of putting scripture together here, but it's all scripture. When we are surrendered and in worship to the Lord, then we receive the life, the inheritance. And when we worship the Lord, it leads to thanksgiving, when we consider all that our awesome God is to us. And in this thanksgiving, we know that when we ask anything according to his will and in his name, we will have it, right? So you know that when you seek him, you will find him. Thank the Lord for that. Thank him that we have the mind of Christ to guide our decisions as you're asking him to open doors in your life. Thank him that you can rest from toiling because he is your provider as you ask him to give you employment. Thank him in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And always give thanks to the Father in everything in the name of Jesus. And do not be anxious, but in prayer and with thanksgiving, make your requests, petitions known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Then you will have the abundance of peace in your life when you live in thanksgiving, receiving the promises of God. Well, a thankful heart leads to a heart of love for the Lord. 
You know, I can pray, Jesus, I desire what you desire. I want your priorities to be my priorities. I give you that authority over my life today, over my to-do list. You know, I'll create mine, and then I'll just invite him in to adjust as needed. And do I desire the good of others? You know, if so, pray to be a blessing to them. Tell the Lord, I want to, how can I bless, you know, my family today? Bless them through me today. I want to bless others. Let that be your heart of love. And he will do it. I've lots of examples of that, but not, not the time for it. And I would also say pray with a sorrowful heart for those who are deceived by their flesh or by the enemy, and they don't know Christ. Remember how Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he was riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He said, I would have gathered you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks, but they did not know him. They were deceived and they rejected him, and he wept over them. Pray with that kind of a sorrow for those who are deceived and who reject Christ. Ask the Lord to love others through you so that you can see others through his eyes and love them with his love, right? It's the love he pours into your heart. And I absolutely believe that these prayers of love are so powerful in the spiritual realm where the real battle is being fought, and you have to believe that. That each time we offer a prayer for someone who hurts us, in particular someone who's hurt us, someone who doesn't deserve um, love, that it's as though that prayer is received by a messenger angel who then uh, dispatches it to the front lines and it sways the battle. And I believe that and I envision that when I'm praying. Pray for those who hurt you and extend grace. Be that instrument of God's grace. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and with the love he has poured into your heart. And grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We receive the abundant life when we are filled with his love. Receive his love and choose to walk in it. And finally, a heart that loves is a heart that is obedient and so is able to receive all of his promises. This is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands with the power of the love that he puts in us, right? With his strength, we can walk in obedience. And Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We will receive the indwelling life of Christ, right? When we walk in obedience with him, with the love and the power that he gives us to do so. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Hebrews 10.36. Tell God thank you for enabling you to be obedient with his love and his strength and his power and his wisdom. He's the one doing it, right? This is where you don't have to say, oh, please give me strength. You say, thank you for being my strength to be obedient. Thank you for being the love in me that desires to obey you from the heart. And finally, I want to em emphasize here the importance of Jesus' teaching and knowing that Jesus' teaching is the Word of God and that the Word of God is Jesus. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know that is Jesus. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even between soul and spirit, 
discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus is the Word of God. He lives in you, and he desires that the Word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I pray this all the time. Lord, thank you that your Word dwells in me richly. You know, I, I want to let it dwell in me richly. And whatever that means, sometimes I don't even know what that means, but I just tell him, thank you. And whatever it means to have your word dwell in me richly, that's what I want to flow out of me. But it comes from a position of believing the promise. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, rooted and built up in the word, which is Jesus, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And abide. Live, dwell, sojourn in me, and I in you. Live in the word. Make it your home instead of living in your doubts. And finally, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that Jesus has said. He will give you all spiritual wisdom and understanding to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, true knowledge of God's mystery, Christ himself. When we abide in Jesus and in the Word, then we get to receive all the wisdom of God and more from the abundant life. Luke 16, 10, 11 says, He who is faithful in small things will be faithful in big things. So be faithful in abiding in God's Word daily. It's kind of a small thing, you know. Pray to Him your desire to receive all that He wants you to understand, to know, and you will be faithful when bigger things come into your life knowing that the Word is Jesus, and Jesus is that life in you. Christ himself, the way, the truth, and the life of freedom, joy, inheritance, power, strength, rest, wisdom, peace, purpose, and love. And that is how we receive by faith what we do not see being imparted to us. And I hope you'll never pray the same way again. I hope you'll never read scripture the same way again. And I hope you'll never live the same way again. And so finally, I want to um, just look at the power of faith as he lives in us and through us. 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's that battle in the heavenly realms, right? Our victory is our faith. I asked you to read the Battle of Jericho from the book of Joshua. The Israelites had seen God's power at work from their release in slavery in Egypt through the plagues, to the parting of the Red Sea, to manna from heaven each day, and more. And then God required them to take an active part in his plan for their new life in the promised land by standing in battle against the peoples opposed to God. And now, strangely, to march around Jericho and blow trumpets and shout. And I always think that if God had asked uh, this first of them to march around Pharaoh's palace and blow trumpets and shout, they never would have done it, right? But God had shown his might and his goodness toward them in all those other ways. All they had to do was receive at that time what he was doing for them and abide in him. But now in Jericho, God is further maturing the faith of this generation that has grown up with him over these 40 years to the point where he asked them to do something that in appearance, by what it seems, by what it looks like, gives them no assurance of victory. To march, blow trumpets, and shout. 
Well, each of us has seen the power of God at work in our lives and in the lives around us. God has shown himself mighty and good to us who have believed in him and received Christ. And now he asks us as mature followers to enter into and live the abundant life by faith. In spite of appearances, of the busyness and demands of the world around us, in spite of the schemes and weapons the enemy has arrayed against us, he's asking us to act in faith to receive the abundant life. Hannah, we must recognize it as a fact that sin is a conquered foe and must meet it, therefore, with a shout of victory instead of with a cry for help. I love this for a lot of reasons, but I just want to share briefly a story. Some of you have heard me share this story. Um, What is 15 years ago when The Passion of the Christ, that movie, first came out? I went to see it on Good Friday afternoon, and there was hardly anybody else in the theater, maybe 20 people at the most, all scattered throughout and, of course, it's a very somber movie. And um, it gets to the very end, and I think most of it I was kind of watching like this. And, um, and then the second, I think it's the second-to-last scene. The last scene is, I think, when Christ sits up in the tomb. The second-to-last scene is when Satan is collapsed in a field and just cries out in defeat. I don't know if you remember that scene, but I remember it because in that moment I had this overwhelming desire to stand up and shout victory and I am not a cheerleader and that is not me but that's what I felt and I know it was the Holy Spirit I just wanted to shout victory and everybody was so quiet and somber and I didn't do it Uh, but to this day I kind of regret it Um, and that's what I feel like I feel like shouting victory he has done it it is done and we needed to stop toiling stop toiling in it it's done She goes on to say, When the temptation comes, at once lift up your heart to the Lord, and by faith claim the promised victory. Shout the shout of faith, and the temptation will flee. Though trials and temptations may abound, the fiery darts of the enemy will be quenched by the shield of faith continually lifted up. Remember remember, uh, Jericho, and shout that shout of victory. Um. John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, Jesus, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I've often contemplated this verse too. Greater, greater than Jesus, you know, what is that? Well, if Jesus could have been in a hundred places at one time, would he not have done greater things than what he did, more than what he did? Because he went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit has brought his life into each of us. Jesus is now in millions of places at one time. Should there not be greater works done now? If only we believed and made ourselves available for them. Matthew 17, 20, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. It's not the size of our faith. It's the size of the God that we have faith in. It's his faithfulness that we trust in. It's the faith of a child without caveats or conditions or buts or doubts. And I want to read to you an excerpt from a book by Philip Yancey. The book is called What's So Amazing About Grace? The Cold War, says former Senator Sam Nunn, ended not in a nuclear inferno, but in a blaze of candles in the churches of Eastern Europe. In Poland, the Catholics marched past government buildings shouting, We forgive you. In East Germany, Christians lit candles, prayed, and marched in the streets. 
Candlelight processions in East Germany did not show up well on the evening news, but they helped change the face of the globe. First a few hundred, then a thousand, then 30,000, 50,000, and finally 500,000, nearly the entire population of the city, turned out in Leipzig for candlelight vigils. I don't think I said that right. After a prayer meeting in St. Nikolai Church, the peaceful protesters would march through the dark streets singing hymns. Police and soldiers, with all their weapons, seemed powerless against such a force. Ultimately, on the night, a similar march in East Berlin attracted one million protesters. The hated Berlin Wall came tumbling down without a shot being fired. A huge banner appeared across a Leipzig street. Wir danken dir, Kirke. We thank you, church. I still get uh, emotional over this. I really do. There was more to the story, of course we know, but the power of God's forgiveness and the faithful prayers of his people in the face of potentially certain death, it swayed the battle in the heavenly realms. And I, I think I get so emotional because, well, first of all, I grew up with the Berlin Wall, and if anything seemed impossible, it was that. But I think of all the people you know, living in oppression crying out to the Lord, and uh, are we praying for them? Are we wielding the power of forgiveness and grace? Um, wherever that oppression is happening, our families, our communities, the world. So I ask, what is impossible? What's, with God, all things are possible. Do we believe that? Do we have faith in that statement? Because it's his power. So what is impossible in your abundant life right now? I encourage you, whatever comes to mind, write it down. Write it down now. I say choose to be an instrument of God's grace, which by definition is not deserved. Choose to be the love of Christ and his power to accomplish the impossible. Look to Christ and you who ask, do you believe that I'm able to do this? As he asked of the two blind men. And let your answer be, yes, Lord. Lord implies authority. His lordship over your life. It's not just yes, it's yes, Lord. Uh, So now I'll summarize. By faith we received Christ. By faith we walk in him, trusting in his promises that he will live in us and that we have received his abundant life. Trust in God's capacity to bear his fruit as you walk in faith, trusting in his faithfulness. And faith is the supernatural power of God. It means we don't look for human explanations and understanding for proof that it's true. The inward presence of the abundant life of Christ will result in outward acts bearing the abundance of his life. I'm going to close with a quote by Andrew Murray that's actually on page 75 in your book, so I put it in the summary. In his death, Christ destroyed the power of the devil. He put away sin and effected an everlasting redemption. In his resurrection, he received from the Father an entirely new life, the life of man in the power of God, capable of being communicated to men and entering and renewing and filling their lives with his divine power. In his ascension, he received the spirit of the Father through whom he might do what he could not do while upon earth, make himself one 
with those he loved, actually lived their life for them so that they could live before the Father in a humility like his because it was himself who lived and breathed in them. And this is really where we began, receiving the breath of God's life when we were created. So receive his breath of life afresh. Let his spirit sustain your life. Breathe out his life into the lives of others and into your circumstances and see the power of the life of Christ do mighty works. And that concludes the study. I want to pray um, before you guys all go because first I want to uh, just give all the glory to God. Um, These are his words and these are his truths, Lord, and we thank you for them. We thank you that you desire us to receive them, to live in them. We thank you that you desire to live in us. And I pray, Lord, that each woman here, by the power of your spirit, would receive these truths with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would let your word, you, dwell in us richly, Lord Jesus, and that our lives would look different and be different and have the power of you, Lord Jesus, working in us and through us to make a difference in this world. And I thank you for that and and ask you to bless each woman here, Lord Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen.